Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Amen. He is greater than. Hallelujah. Greater than anything. When we're here on week six of this series, and it seems like it's really flown by, at least for me, but I hope that this deliberate digging into a particular book of the Bible has brought you into a deeper understanding. Uh, and Hebrews is just so doctrinally rich. I just love this book. I, I've loved uh, being on this adventure with you as we read it and meditate on it and, and just let, it, let the truth of it just soak into us a little bit. And as you know, the theme thus far has been pretty easy to see. Jesus is greater than anything and everything connected to the Old Covenant. He represents the, the New Covenant. He is, it is founded upon him. He fulfilled the old and made it obsolete by giving us the new. Religion was exchanged for relationship. And how many are thankful for that? We don't serve a God of religion. We serve a God of relationship. Amen? Now, you got to be extra loud this morning because we're few in numbers. So let me hear an amen from this church this morning. That's good. I like that. So in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, we have seen the writer making his case to these faithful, or or these faith-weary, actually, Christians that were experiencing persecution and suffering and were probably in a state of mind of of perplexity. Is this gospel of Jesus Christ really true? Is it worth giving up our lives for? Does does this Jesus thing work? And, And the case that he was making was that, yes, Jesus and the new covenant that he represents is more than worth it. Jesus is greater than the prophets of the Old Covenant. He is greater than the angels. He is greater than Moses and Joshua. He is greater than all the Old Covenant priests. And he has become our one and only high priest. He's even greater than the original tabernacle with all of its awe, all of its splendor. In chapter 11 of this last week's assigned reading, we find ourselves in probably one of the most popular chapters in the the book of Hebrews. It's often referred to as the faith chapter of the Bible. Some have also called it the hall of faith, as it mentions so many heroes of the faith from the Old Covenant. And it's interesting how the overall themes to shift just a little bit as we get into chapter 11. We've just spent 10 chapters talking about the fact that Jesus is greater than everything connected to the Old Covenant and how the New Covenant is so much better. Now it shifts to an application of what we've just read. It's the answer to the question, so Jesus is greater. Why does that matter to me? Why is it important in my life? And today we're going to get into that a little bit. This chapter begins with the definition of faith that we have heard over and over and over again in church. Hebrews 11.1, and I'll read it this morning. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Sometimes you might hear this, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the absolute assurance. I want you to understand what faith is. It's the absolute assurance of those things that we hope for. What do we hope for? Salvation. We hope for blessings in this life, which could include uh, our provisionary needs being met as well as healing and wholeness. We hope for victory over death and the grave. We hope for eternal life. We hope for an afterlife right in heaven. 
We hope for all of these things. And faith is having an assurance that these things are ours, even when we can't see them right now. Conviction of belief, not wavering in our assurance, but absolute conviction that the truth we have, uh, the, 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 that we've encountered through the person of Jesus is in fact true. Because how many know we've encountered truth when we've encountered Jesus? And that truth is true. You know, there's a lot of people that say my truth in, 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 this, in this world that we live in right now. Well, I have my truth and you have your truth. Let me tell you something. There's only one truth and his name is Jesus Christ. There's, there's different perspectives, sure. But really, when it all shakes down, there's only one truth. And we've got to know that this morning. I've mentioned that Hebrews 11 is often called the Hall of Faith chapter in the Bible. And I agree with that characterization. If, if you're like me, uh, when you think about baseball or, or football halls of fame, you generally think of those that were champions of their sport, right? We think of, of, of those players that have been inducted into the hall of fame, those coaches, and they're just champions of the game. Those that conquered and broke records in their sport. Those that changed the nature of the game because of their influence on it. Athletic warriors, so to speak. And they are heroes to those that love the game. The hall of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews is similar to this, yet it's strikingly different. We see right away in verse four that the writer begins by naming Abel in the hall of faith. Let's look at it, Hebrews 11:4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though which he was commend, the, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel is a champion of the faith. He is commended by God, which means he is held up as an example for us to follow. God said Abel was righteous because of the way he gave his gift to the Lord in faith. And because of his faith, which was the motivating factor in the way that he presented his gift to God, he still speaks. Abel still speaks to us. A man of faith. And it seems simple enough. Abel was better than his brother, Cain, and he was a champion of the faith so much that his name is forever written in the hall of faith. But then there's this little phrase in that scripture I just read, and sometimes we miss it. And it says this, yet he died, or though he died. And I, I, I really thought about that this week, this last week. How can he be a champion of the faith if he died? I mean, he did the right thing, he gave the right gift with the right heart. He had faith, and he still died. I mean, don't we like the stories where people are just victorious when they do the right thing? We do, don't we? Doesn't that seem like it's injustice a little bit right here? I mean, Abel did everything that God would have wanted him to do, and God even honors him by putting his name in the hall of faith. Yet he died. He died. Right after he offered his gift and Cain got jealous, Cain came and killed his brother. 
He murdered him because he was jealous of him, because God didn't accept his gift, but God accepted his. And I'm thinking, you know, if I do everything right according to God's will, and I do what I'm supposed to do, everything should work out right, and it should be perfect. That's victory, right? But Abel died. Do you see that? I mean, if he had such great faith, why did he die? We see others listed in the hall of faith that did in fact conquer and overcome. Enoch had so much faith that he never experienced physical death. No, he was, I mean, Enoch was just taken up to heaven. It's really a picture of being raptured. Noah built an ark and saved his family. And then he lived to be a very old man. He was the patriarch of the only human beings who ever lived on earth before the flood and after the flood. Can you imagine what it was like for Noah and his family to be on the earth before the flood and after the flood? A totally different world. Abraham is mentioned because of his faith. And he got to see his miracle son Isaac born in in he and, and, and Sarah's old age. Isaac is mentioned alongside these faith-filled giants as he was able to invoke future blessings on his sons Jacob and Esau. Jacob got to bless his sons. These are people that are mentioned in the hall of faith. Joseph, by faith, was able to overcome being sold into slavery and save his family from famine. And they were the very ones who sold him into slavery. Many in this list, although they had opposition, seemed to be victorious in the end. And we like that, and we cheer them on for it. We love those stories of victory. Moses was another one. All that he did throughout his life, so many acts of faith and so many victories, yet he was never allowed to enter the promised land because of his disobedience on one occasion. And that part seems like he didn't come out on top in the end. He did all this stuff, but he didn't come out on top, yet he's mentioned in the hall of faith. And then you have Rahab, who was a prostitute, who acted kindly to the two spies that were sent into Jericho to spy out the land back in the Old Testament, and and, and she hid them from authorities. She is mentioned in the hall of faith. And then verse 32 says this, chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? He's already mentioned all these people. He says, for time would fail me to tell of all of them, to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. I don't have time to mention everybody, he says. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the, the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made out or, or were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Those are the stories we love, right? Those are victories. Those are overcoming conquerors. And we're like, yeah. We do the right thing and look what God does. But then there's Abel and there's Moses and there's others. We see some overcome, some as conquerors, and we like those stories because of the victorious nature of them. In verse 35, the writer even mentions two women. He doesn't name them, but presumably he's referring to the widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite woman because they responded with faith toward God in the midst of their difficult situations, and God blessed them with incredible miracles. 
And it has to be stated this morning how important faith is to God. He responds to it. It moves him. Hebrews 11.6 of this last week's reading says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's impossible to please God without faith. But again, remember that Abel had faith and he died. Moses missed the promised land. Samson died as he was blessed with a final anointing to overcome his enemies. God gave him one last, you know, injection of superhuman strength and he died. But we don't generally think of that as being a bad thing for Samson. We think of that as a good thing. And then we get to Hebrews 11:35b through 38. And I, I'm just looking at this scripture, this hall of faith, and, and maybe I looked at it a little differently than I ever have before. Because, you know, when you're reading the hall of faith, you're like, yeah, yeah, awesome. Look at those victorious stories, right? And then these little things start coming out. And then 35b through 38 says this. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. These these men, the world was not worthy of them, these people. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, They were destitute in some cases. And these are the people that are mentioned in the hall of faith. You know, in this American gospel that we seem to be saturated with sometimes, there's this this feeling of, if I do everything I'm supposed to do that God says, nothing bad will ever happen to me. Folks, that's not true. That's not true. And it confuses the world when the church presents the gospel that way. We are in this world, but we are not of it. We experience some of its hardships. Oh, this is a great encouraging message, isn't it? It will be. We endure some of its hardships. We experience those things. Faith is knowing that you know that you know that there's something better coming. And it's standing strong in the midst of anything that comes at you. Anything at all. These verses are often overlooked. These ones I just read about all these people going through so much. But they're often overlooked when it comes to this chapter being the hall of faith chapter in the Bible. We miss something. We miss the fact that being in the hall of faith is not about winning in this life like being in the hall of fame is winning. Faith is not always about winning in the here and now. It's about the ultimate victory that we will win and absolutely will win. Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 through 40 says this, and all these, talking about all the people that he just mentioned, all these heroes of the faith, all these hall of faithers, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Faithful people who did not receive what was promised. 
Verse 40, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, Jesus hadn't come yet. This is Old Testament. This is Old Covenant. This is hundreds of years, even thousands of years before Jesus, the promised one that would bring such wonderfulness, such fulfillment. He hadn't come yet. And it's amazing to think about the fact that these heroes of the faith that are mentioned in this chapter never saw full fulfillment of the promise of salvation. They lived, like I said, many years before Christ, yet they had faith until death that they would see the salvation of God. They didn't know how it would come. They didn't know who would come through. They didn't see all that. They didn't, they didn't have the advantage of looking backwards. How many know 2020 vision is, is uh, you know, hindsight's 2020, right? We know that. We can, we can see that. But what was it like for them to just have faith and know that God's, what he said to them was going to happen at some point? And think about this. Before Christ died as a ransom payment for our sin, how did men even get to heaven? I don't believe they did. There was an afterlife. There, there, there was, of course, Hades and, or hell, which is, is a place of complete separation of God and, and a place of torment. And there was a, also a place called paradise, which wasn't hell and it wasn't heaven. It was probably more like a holding place that was, that was I, don't, I don't know physically where it was, maybe, maybe near hell. It wasn't a place of torment. It was called Abraham's bosom. Remember the rich man and Lazarus, right, that Jesus talked about? And Jesus, upon dying on the cross, he descended into hell, paying the price for our sins, and it says that he set the captives free. Is it possible that this place, paradise, which was also, again, referred to as Abraham's bosom, uh, was, was done away with and those that were pre-Christ believers who were there, whose faith was attributed to them as righteousness, that they were moved into heaven at that point and now reside there. And I say all this because these faithful heroes, these hall of faithers, they lived out their faith until death, even though they did not have any guarantees. And even though they never saw the fulfillment of salvation that God the Father had promised them. And they lived by faith unto death, in some cases not seeing his promises totally fulfilled. See, we've experienced this salvation. My goodness. We have, a, we have a Christian church on every corner of every small town in America. We have Bibles sitting all over our homes as well as in our pockets and on our cell phones. Our cell phones, how many Bibles, how many different versions of the Bible do you have on your cell phone? Every version, right? It's just click of a button. It's, we carry it around in our pockets. We have more access to it than anyone has ever had in the history of the world. We live on this side of the cross with all the promises that are yes and amen to those that believe, yet we grow weary in our faith when we don't see those promises fulfilled. We get tired when we don't get what we want. Well, what's going on, God? I thought I was supposed to get this now. The writer of Hebrews was making this point to those who first read the, his letter. How can your faith be slipping? You live on this side of the cross. These heroes of the faith never saw the fullness of the promise of God. They never saw the Messiah come on the scene, yet they lived with extreme faith, pure conviction, and they did not waver. And let's not stop with those that had faith on 
that side of the cross. Verse 36 mentions mocking and flogging, and it's hard not to think about the Apostle Paul when he, when he mentions that. He was one that received this treatment, mocking and flogging and whipping. We know that Jesus was given 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. Paul was whipped 39 times on five different occasions. He was beaten, imprisoned, and eventually decapitated because of the gospel. I wonder if his faith wavered. Lord, I'm doing everything you've called me to do. Why am I being whipped right now? Have you ever thought about that? God, you said you loved me. Why am I going through this hard time? God, you said, you said, you said this, you said this, you said this. Why am I struggling right now? Why is this life so hard? Why am I being whipped right now for the gospel? It doesn't make any sense in our American gospel-saturated minds. Because if you follow Jesus, nothing bad will ever happen to you, right? And it's hard not to attribute the sufferings mentioned here, the floggings, the whipping, to, to all the 12 apostles. All of them were martyred for their faith, all of them except John. John got off easy. He didn't die for his faith. He was lowered into a pot of boiling oil in front of a cheering crowd. You know what he did? He lifted his hands, and he prayed out loud, and the crowd went silent. John continued to pray for minutes, minutes, while he was in that boiling oil. The boiling oil was, was not killing him. It wasn't even really hurting him, but it definitely wasn't shutting him up because then his prayers turned to praise and worship to Jesus who had obviously delivered him from death. You know, the guy that was, the, 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 the man that was trying to kill him was so certain that this would stop the spread of the gospel and it would shut them up for good because I'm gonna boil one of their, one of their own. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it very clear that this God is not real. And what happened? The opposite. Then the emperor said, get this man out of my sight. And John was exiled to the island of Patmos where he received a revelation of Jesus Christ and he wrote it down. We now call that revelation the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Can I give you some truth today? Being a Christian and having faith will not keep you from the hardships or the trials and tribulations of this world. Being a faithful Christian may bring more tribulation and persecution on you. There's a popular message. Let's preach that one. Let's see how, let's see how that one works. Well, I just did, and it's the truth. We go through things, hard things. We lose financially at times. We will at times see our loved ones get diagnosed with sickness and disease. We may be beaten or even martyred for our faith. If you look back through, throughout history, millions, millions have been executed because they believed in the name of Jesus. Millions. Christians have been rejected, abused, and shunned because of their faith. Where does it say that we, as American Christians, are somehow more loved by God that we won't experience any of these things? We very well could. And don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not hoping for this kind of stuff to happen. I just see the correlation between these Christian believers that the writer of Hebrews was first writing to, the ones who first got this letter, and how he's pleading with them. And I see that correlation between them and us today. When the going gets tough, 
The faithful stay faithful. They don't give up. They don't swallow, or, or I'm sorry, wallow in doubt and fear. They hang on to the truth that they know and they stand firm in Jesus Christ. And sure, there's always moments that we all have where we're human. We go, why, God? Why didn't that work? I think, I think my mom has said to me several times when my, when my dad passed away and, and he wasn't healed like we knew he was going to be healed. She said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a talk with God. And, and I get that. We, we're human. We can have those conversations. I've heard people say, well, I'm a little angry with God right now. Guess what? God's big enough to handle that. But don't let your faith waver. Don't let that anger turn to hatred toward God because then you got a problem. The fact is that Jesus will see you through any storm that this life throws at you. He will pick you up and he will carry you. Yes, it can become incredibly difficult but that's when the substance of the very things we hope for, victory, overcoming, blessings, promises fulfilled, salvation, eternal life, all of it, that's when we have conviction of belief, church. When, when there is no evidence, in other words, that's when our faith will carry us through to the end. We stand on it. We believe it. It's the substance. Faith is the very substance of those things that we hope for. And let me remind you, of a scripture that was part of our previous week's reading. And this is true. Victory is coming, right? We may experience tragedy and turmoil in this life, but faith will take us to that place where victory is imminent. Are you right? We will win, right? Here's the scripture, though. 10, 12 through 13, Hebrews. But when... Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Jesus has completely defeated the enemy. He's completely defeated him. Can I get an amen? Amen. He's completely defeated him. We know that. But there is coming a time, and it hasn't happened yet, but it's getting closer a time when all of the enemies of God, who again have already been defeated, but these enemies will be destroyed and they will be a footstool, it says, under his feet. And when you hear me say his kingdom is here, but it is yet coming, that's what I'm talking about. We get to see the miraculous in the here and now from time to time. We get to see healings and other supernatural works of God. We believe in those things and we know they can happen. We have faith that they can happen. And we see them happen all the time. But I think about uh, uh, when there, there, there will be no need for such miracles. If sickness doesn't exist, there's no need for healing miracles. It's just beyond this realm. When Jesus sits on the throne and rules this earth, we won't need to vote or even pray for good leadership. It will just be there, Jesus on the throne. That's his kingdom fully come. That's when the enemies of Christ are made to be his footstool and they'll have no effect anymore. That's a day we can all hope for and put our faith in. Death, sickness, war, disease, cancer, financial debt, injustice of every kind, racism of every kind, hatred, doubt, fear, social unrest, all of it will be a distant memory. That's why we emphasize kingdom builders 
around here. We are building his kingdom until he comes again. He and his kingdom have come. They have, but he and his kingdom is yet coming. And when it fully comes, what a victory shout we're gonna get to be a part of. It's gonna be an awesome shout of praise. These heroes of the faith, they didn't even see the promise of Christ fulfilled while they lived on the earth. We have experienced at least a measure of his kingdom that has come. We must not let our faith grow tired. I mean, hardships aren't easy. We know that. Tragedies and persecutions are no fun. But our faith will see us through. And let me say this to you. Every single one of you has the capacity to walk in faith. To believe and have pure conviction of the truth of Jesus. Faith is that substance of things that we hope for in him. Faith doesn't afford us the assurance of winning and coming out on top in every situation in this life, but it does guarantee our victory in the life to come. I want, that life is more real than this one, by the way. This is a vapor. That's forever. We get all worked up when we don't get what we want in this vapor life. And God says, what are you whining about? Look what I've done for you. You have a forever to look forward to where all of this is going to happen and be true. Many of you know that uh, little Maddie Snow passed away last week at the age of 12 after a long, hard fight with cancer. She's known as Mighty Maddie. We prayed for her here about six weeks ago when she was here. And I learned yesterday, as I met with her family, that she had over 200 weeks of chemo in that little body. She'd been through so much. Her mom found a scripture written down by Maddie more than once, and it's, it's the scripture we will be using in her memorial service. I think maybe Maddie wanted it to be used. But she wrote it down, and this is the scripture that this 12-year-old little girl who had been through so much wrote. 200 weeks of chemo. It fits with what I'm talking about. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. A 12-year-old girl who had been through the ringer physically, she understood this. She understood that even though it gets tough sometimes and even when we don't get what we want, this is the attitude we must take. God, it's tough, but I'm going to believe and have faith and stand firm that all things work together for good for those that love him. That's faith, church. Standing firm in the truth the truth that we hope for even when we don't see the results we want. Standing firm even to the point of death in this life because our victory is on the way. Our victory is coming, church. It's a coming. It's a coming. It's on the way. It is coming. And I hope, I hope that we don't get lost in this in this. Americanized gospel, and I've said that a couple times because I do believe it's an Americanized gospel. We're such a blessed people that we get spoiled. 
And we think that, well, oh yeah, look, God blessed us. Yes, God has blessed us immensely. I don't doubt that one bit. But that doesn't mean nothing bad could ever happen to you. Does he have protection? You bet. Does he have provision? You bet. Does he have healing? Absolutely. But sometimes we don't get what we want. I can't answer why on every one of those things. I just know there's a victory coming that's going to be absolute. And this life is a vapor. It means very little compared to that life. Except we're required to have faith because that determines where we go for eternity. Faith in what? No, faith in who? Jesus Christ. I want to pray with you this morning. And I want to challenge you to stand firm in faith. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that you bless us continually, that you pour out blessings upon us. God, we know we're in this world, and, but we're not of it. We are citizens of heaven. And even though that comes with a lot of rights and privileges and blessings, God, we, we also know that we're still in this world and sometimes it still affects us. God, I pray that you would help us to stand strong, to focus on you and what you have for us, the victories you have for us in the future. God, no matter what, we want to stand firm. We see these heroes of the faith, and some were victorious to the end, and some seem like they got the short end of the stick. Lord, we don't know our futures, but God, we commit to you this day that we will stand firm. Our future is secure in you. Lord, we give you our heart once again. We, we claim you as our Savior, our Lord. We ask you to forgive us of our sins, our sins of omission, sins of, sins of, the, the, of the flesh, sins of pride, sins that, the, that get down in us and, and, and make us say things like, we can do this on our own, or I'm a self-made person, or the pride, God. We ask forgiveness for that. And we ask you, Lord, to just touch us and change us. Set us free from all that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.